Thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs. My name is James, and today I am bringing you a special guest here, Wyndham Graves, a 3D modeler. How are you doing today, Mr. Graves? Very good. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Now, for everyone, so they can decide if they want to listen to the rest of this podcast, give us the 30-second spiel about what you do. Yeah, so I do 3D modeling for 20th century gaming, um, and I do models that are not this is a the odd thing they are one they're free you can just go to thingiverse right now and download all of them i ask for people to pay for my time not the models so i'm kind of generating a library of freely available models so if you have friends that are getting into wargaming you can easily send them to this list and they can download some of at least some if not all of the models for their game army or whatnot okay so let's get into that because that's why I wanted to talk to you is because you're not just a 3D modeler, but you focus on 3D models for gaming, which is its own design discipline when you really think about it. And you focus on can this actually be printed rather than just is this a pretty picture um, to be loaded so into Thingiverse? Not only that, but there's actually a third thing that a lot of modelers don't think about is that one, I have to be able to make it look like the, the object, right? If it doesn't look like the thing on the tabletop, then it's not useful. Two, it has to be able to be printed. Um, a lot of my models, especially the larger ones, are actually focused for FDM printing. So it's easier and cheaper for people to get models printed. And also, if you don't have a printer, a lot of times your local library will have FDM printers, but they almost never have resin printers. So you could take these models and actually have them printed, even if you're not a printing person, uh, and, and get them done. And then the third thing, and this is where I kind of feel that um, some modelers fall down a little bit, especially when you're coming from other disciplines or other activities, I guess, is that uh, they have to be able to survive on the, on the tabletop. And to survive on the tabletop, you have to be able to hold them, you have to be able to transport them, you have to be able to paint them. And that's something that kind of leads to a different set of design requirements than, say, designing a model to look really, really nice on a shelf. Well, my... Where I like to point is because I do have a range of metal, plastic, resin, and 3D printed models. And uh, none of them come with a crash test rating. So you figure the average table is five feet in the air, this much weight, accelerated into the floor, and it'll bounce. What will that do to a true scale gun barrel at 20? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, <laughs> and how will you find well, it? <laughs> Now, here's the thing with, with, with true scale gun barrels is a lot of people get kind of fussy about gun barrels specifically. Gun barrels and rivets are the two scale things that people get real, real fussy about. And the thing with like a machine gun barrel, uh, just cut off the 3D printed barrel, drill a little hole and put, a, and put a piece of a nail in there and you'll have a stronger gun barrel and it'll be true scale. So you shouldn't look at these things as like, oh, I have to print it and then I have to prime it and then I have to paint it. No, it's just the first start of hobby. Right, you you have all of your traditional hobby tools. Like nobody took them away from you the moment you hit go on the 3D printer. Well, so let me ask you. We don't normally open up um, after the intro with uh, the bona fides question. What is your background in gaming? So how so did you get gaming, here? Yeah. Oh, geez. Okay, so uh, when I was maybe nine or ten. Uh, one of my family friends taught my little brother and I magic. And then I forget why we were over at their house and we saw his miniature wargaming collection, his, his 40K and fantasy stuff. And this would have been mid 90s. And uh, after that, I was just hooked. I was like, these little people do things and I roll dice and then they do other things. And this is incredible. <laughs> and it's a hobby thing and it's an art thing and all of that played until essentially cars became a more important money sink uh <laughs> got out of it a little bit played a little bit in college and then now i'm in the uh mid-30s range where people seem to drop back into wargaming so <laughs> literally a few months before covid hit i decided to get back into wargaming so the worst possible time <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh it did allow I know there's that joke about like, well, I'm going to take advantage of COVID to paint all my armies. And then yep. 
no armies were ever painted in this period. So um, I I did get caught up on a lot of stuff, but uh, that brings a fair point. So you go from gaming, where did the idea of getting into the 3D modeling side? So like game designers normally play games and say, you know, there's something missing. I'm going to make it myself. So you were out there and said, I'm a gamer. There's something missing. I'm going to make my own models. So I actually came into it the wrong way. I, um, in school, went to, for being a graphic designer and then uh, decided to get a graduate degree in studio art. And while I was there, we got our first 3D printer in 2008. Uh, so quite some time ago. And uh, just kind of learned 3D modeling because it was an extension of skills I already had. And then only actually, as I said, right before COVID, did I get back into designing specifically for the tabletop. Before that, I just essentially designed industrial objects. Um, and the thing with tabletop is coming from the industrial object end of it, a lot of it is, does this thing survive reality? And that was kind of what I realized was missing is that a lot of the models you can find online are absolutely fantastic and look gorgeous, but they do not survive contact with reality. <laughs> um, and so as we, as we discussed before, I think that there is kind of a, there is a midpoint for an object that is both attractive and functional. Well, I, I know uh, one of my uh, previous neighbors was a NASA engineer and we discussed his specialty was someone would engineer an object and then his job was to say, well, this is what a human is going to do to it, or this is how a human will interact with it. And so that's that's the piece that I think gets missed. Um, so I'll bring up probably one of the biggest issues for like high-end golden demon uh, silver crystal brush painters is let's go buy a Games Workshop model, like one of the big expensive $120 ones, and there's going to be fluted arches and everything. It's like, Yep. Now, how do I transport that five states away? Mm -hmm. And it's like, because it comes an issue of like the life cycle, the object will be from your house, put together, painted, transported someplace else, put on a table, potentially dropped and transported back for years. So it does become, how do you industrially design an object to survive that rigor? Because most people think, okay, I want a Japanese tank that no one's ever seen for bolt action no one makes it i put it on the yeah. table that's the end of the process now, there's there's a whole yeah. life cycle behind it well and and there there's another thing and i think that this is this is really important for me being a teacher in the middle of all of that like uh like after grad school te uh, te uh teaching just kind of came as the natural next step uh but i'm going to give this a shot before we go back to teaching uh <laughs> and uh the I think a big thing that I realized is that a lot of the trouble we have in tabletop gaming is getting new people in. Once you get somebody who's painted a squad of miniatures and rolled some dice on the tabletop, they're, they're never leaving. Like it's a weird addiction <laughs> and, and that's just kind of like becomes part of your soul. But <laughs> it's, that, it's that sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, well, I've already painted one squad of miniatures. I might as well spend another $10,000 over the next 20 yeah, years. Exactly. I might yeah. as well spend a lifetime doing this. <laughs> uh, but, but so, so another big thing with, with tabletop miniatures is not only do they have to survive you playing with them, but also a teaching game. Right, like you go to your store and you teach somebody. Well, other people are going to handle your stuff, and it's so interesting to watch the difference between, um, like, a game of say Gaslands, where the miniatures are essentially worthless. Right, like their <laughs> your your hobby time is worth so much more than any of the parts you put into it, and like a game of forty k, and whether or not other people are allowed to touch your stuff. Like, oh. look at those two things and see who's allowed to touch whose stuff. Gaslands, well, that, nobody cares. <laughs> so that that is and, actually an issue I have with like normies. Well, I'll use that uh the what yeah, yeah. the millennials call them. Or average people. <laughs> They'll come up to yes. your table and like, oh, that's so cool. Those are Star Wars models, and reach down, grab it, and pick it up. And it's like the way I was raised from the 80s in gaming culture is like that's fighting right there. You might as well yes. stuck your hand in my GT right now mm -hmm. like get your hand off my charger, son. I put that model down. You're not. Allowed, I don't know where. I don't know what Cheetos you've been eating before you touch my model. So exactly. And 
that's another thing like like all the people that are or not all uh a good portion of the people that are gonna be interested in this stuff that that we're trying to like rope in to be our buddies and roll dice with us are people are coming from gaming and gaming has no or i'm sorry like gaming um ha, from video gaming and there's no such um there's no such conflict. Like you're, if you can pick up the controller, you're good to go. Like some people have controllers that they like, but very rarely, it's not like it used to be where there was the one controller that worked and every other controller was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so there, there's not that sort of like social attitude that, that like these things are precious in a way that is almost not even about the money, right? It's about your hobby time and it's about and it's about other things. And so I think that having models that you can put on a table and not be so precious about really helps uh really helps get the hobby out there. And especially I think for people like you that travel a lot, that's also another thing. Like if you open a box, if you open a box and cannot play because of the damage that's occurred to the models while while you've traveled, that's a bad experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how how does that uh, affect your design philosophy? Like when you approach an object and say, okay, I'm going to make this, what are some of the things that you look at? Because you've got to sacrifice the, the real world reality of the model just to miniaturize it. And then you sacrifice some of the issues to like ease of printing and then ease and survivability of play. Th this is the classic... Even with like, let's say Warlord Games and their tanks or Rubicon, yep. there's a difference between the gaming kits and the scale modeler kits, um, just yep. in the level of detail. Yeah, and so I design everything. The, the biggest thing is everything's just slightly chunky. And I'm not talking about like grim, dark, chunky, where everything is like there's an overall scale difference. Uh, really, my thing is that there's just no features below a certain size because there is a certain size at which like an FDM nozzle just literally like cannot go into that geometry now. Um, but the nice thing about that is that at that size, that's also just about where it will make it a little bit stronger for the table for the table or the tabletop. So thankfully both of those things kind of conflate to actually make a successful model. Um, the only real things that are just like abusively changed are probably suspension components. Just because like an axle and a drive shaft is so small at scale that those be those pieces get chunkied up a little bit. But for most people, those are going to be under the model and you're not going to see them. And actually, it's funny, some of my models have absolutely perfectly detailed undersides, suspension, all the drivetrain stuff, all the all the boxes for all the transmission and everything like that. And some of them are just completely flat. And it's entirely as to whether or not I thought it was interesting underneath. <laughs> <laughs> well it's uh what the games workshop's latest tank the rogel dorn yeah it doesn't even have i don't know it's just a hole like... so i actually cut out that part of all of my tanks because it makes them print slightly faster and slightly cheaper uh so when i saw that tank i was like oh i know why you guys did that yeah that makes total it... sense my, and my here's wife... the thing for everybody who got sad about that take a little piece of plastic card <laughs> and glue it to the bottom uh, it I knew some scale modelers when I was younger and they would love the opportunity because that is a different breed of animal, like guys who will paint details that no one will ever see. And then they'll seal them away and just know inside there, there's details. But you just got to think it's a very convenient access hatch for whatever you want to put in there. Uh, yep. But I've, I've seen a lot of 3D designers do that. It's like, what's the point? It's, it's face down. You're not seeing that part. Well, and, and in some cases, you also have to think about like, well, maybe if somebody's printing a dozen of these on an FDM printer, they might be using some of them for terrain. So they might be flipping some of them over, in which case those models more likely need to have their, their bottoms finished, essentially. Whereas like if I have like a staff car, very uh, it's very unlikely that you're going to be modeling a staff car to be flipped over. It's yeah. very likely that like an Opal Blitz is going to be flipped over somewhere. <laughs> well, so that gets I its suspension. You mentioned I travel a lot. I say as opportunities like I could pile an extra squad. 
Yeah, you can definitely. I can pile a squad of Cadians in there and just shove them in that hollow space. Extra well, and one thing, one thing with the business model that I do is that these are all free on on Thingiverse, right? Like none of these are behind a paywall. Like I'm asking people to help support the project, kind of in the same way that maybe like Wikipedia does. Uh, I hesitate to compare this to Wikipedia, but um, <laughs> like I'm asking people to help support on the front on the front end, so we can make this cool library of stuff. But the nice thing about this is that if you know you're traveling to play with somebody, you can have them print off terrain, right? So, like you could just send them the link. Well, so let's let's talk about the the. So you're on Patreon and you're on Thingiverse. I think some people are interested in here if they ever wanted to take the plunge into modeling. How do you see those two related? So you talk about someone's driving a demand for an object. Some of those objects are ending up on Thingiverse, but there's Patreon. How how are you handling that? What's what's your business model? So the traditional way, let, let, let me say, the traditional way this is done is that you go on Wargaming 3D or you go on My Mini Factory and you pay 3 to $10 for a vehicle model. Uh, then you download that model and then somebody else pays that same amount. Um, what I'm doing is making this public library and people are joining my Patreon and saying that, yes, this has value to me to continue helping to build out this set of models. Um, what drives the actual individual models, like which ones get made, I guess, is um, a few things. About a third of them are just this huge list of models that I have. Uh, I have a list of stuff that I need to do. And the nice thing about that list is it also has the list of everything that I have done, which is much easier to search than Thingiverse. And if you come bother me on the internet, I can send that to you. And that's that's easy enough. So if you're listening, just bother me and I'll send you the big list. Um, way easier to search than Thingiverse. <clears throat> so that's about a third of the things are things off of that list that kind of just need to get done that I know that are like popular objects that people want. Uh, then about a third of the things are things where a Patreon member says, hey, I would really love to have this model for this weekend. I have this game coming up and we bust that model out and we get it done and it, and it goes up and they go game with that model. Uh, or they find something really interesting that they just have to have for this modeling project that they're doing. And cool, let's do that. Because if, if you want it, chances are somebody else wants it too. Right, like very rarely is it like one dude in one place that wants that mo that uh, that wants that model. That's just not the way it is. If somebody thinks it's cool, there's a good chance other people think it's cool too. Um, and then the last third is actually I pick stuff out of either pop culture or out of what I see coming up in games. So like if uh, if an, if I know source books are coming out, or if I know rule books are coming are, are coming out, and I think that there might be some models that the market just doesn't have yet or there's no good ver versions of that thing, then I'll try to model towards those things because it gives me a little bit of a advance on the zeitgeist, so to say. So you've said that you focus mostly around the 20th century. Um, where, where do you put most of your effort in there? So let's say someone comes to you and says, I want Afghanistan, 1983 another person says i want ukraine 1943 okay How, so where, where would you spend your time do you have a preference so out of let's say out of 10 models on thingiverse like if you look at the last 20 things on thingiverse the last 10 things on, on on thingiverse i would say about five of those are world war ii plus or minus five years um and then three of them are going to be post that so Cold War era up, uh, up through modern, and then two of them are going to be pre that, i.e. Um, interwar, World War One, or just generalized industrial objects. Like I just went through and made just a bunch of sewer, like, like uh, uh, man manhole covers and the little rings that they go in, just because you need those for for entrances and exits for some games well, and they just don't exist. Yeah, yeah <laughs> ba Batman miniature games, you need, because you can... <laughs> disappear down the manholes and come up on yep. the other side of the board yeah well and there's also like where another thing that i that, that i do is if you want to take any of these models and modify them and re-upload them you're completely allowed to do that the only thing i ask is that you just don't sell that resultant model uh if you want to sell a print there's a level on patreon where you can sell the prints it's very easy but if you just don't like the way i modeled something and you think it should have a different turret on it or if you want to make there's one guy that I swear has made 20 versions of this one um, 
what is it? It's like a Bedford truck or something like that, but he's just made every version that's ever existed and re-uploaded them. And it's like, awesome. That's so cool. And and I really want people to be able to do that because remember, we're not going for me having a library of stuff that I can sell you. We're going for a library of stuff. So people have the exact thing that they want. And like, it's really cool to be able to share in that way. So what, what licensure are you putting him up? On These are um, creative. Com- Let me look real quick just to be sure. But it is Creative Commons by uh, non-commercial. So you, all you have to do is say the original model is Wyndham Graves, and you don't literally just sell that model. As long as you do that, you can upload, you can re, you can remix and re-upload and do whatever you want with it, and it's great. Uh, so, and, and I really do encourage that. So I think I've gone through some of these stuff, and World War One has gotten really hot both weird and regular um so uh last psalms um blood and valor um doggerland's coming out pretty soon so not so you to have give a... it away so not to give it away but i do think we're going to see a little bit more of my stuff be world war one than has been previously um so yeah so lo- so you guys should kind of keep an eye out for that because uh, you I have one have of the tanks. Quite a yeah. Yes, I actually have a bunch of them. Um, if, if you and again, you have to flip back through the through the giant Excel spreadsheet I have, not Thingiverse. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and the, the the neat thing is, is that like if I design a artillery piece for, for World War One, well, guess what? The only difference between the World War One one and the World War Two one is that they put tires on it instead of wagon wheels. Other than that, a lot of the big guns are actually identical. And it's, so, so there's this really interesting thing where if you're willing to do the research, you can get a lot of um, compatibility out of otherwise very specific models. Well, let me ask you, because something I've been fascinated in is what War Games Atlantic has really started to do recently with mixing their plastic kits to their um, 3D print environment of yeah, where and that's there's an inner... I'm yeah. very pro that. And if there's anything Games Workshop needs to steal besides the ideas of J.R.R. Tolkien for their games, <laughs> it's it's that type of business model. But it, that brings up the interesting thing of, you know, instead of someone remixing, would you develop like a plasma cannon and say World War One, World War Two? Here's a plasma cannon and like print this off, print that off, chop off the traditional cannon and put this plasma. So it's kind of so- the upgrade features, the life sweetener. So generally the way that I do it is anything that's an easy or like sensible place to cut the model and make a modification, I will cut it there. Um, So when you print it, you should just be be able to literally just pop off the part you don't want in the model or on the 3D print, just like set the tires to the side and just not use them. Um, (laughs) Right. Uh, And uh, for things like if you want to go the sci-fi or weird war route, it's so easy. Most of these things have, you know, a, a, a plate that is the gun shield part of a turret. And all you have to do is, again, don't worry about being good at 3D modeling. Just take a little saw and cut the barrel off and glue your new barrel on and, and model it in and put in your cool little power cabling and all that stuff. And you're good to go. Like these things, you should never, ever look at these things as like, I printed a model and that's the way it has to be. No, no, no. Cut it up put a different turret on something just have just go ham with it like the nice thing is is that you you can you can make and fill a bits box in like a few days of just printing stuff out and just not assembling it right just print a truck don't assemble it just throw it whole hog into your bits box uh that gives you frame rails that gives you the little box for the bed that gives you the the cab of the truck that gives you a whole buttload of wheels like all those things you don't have to assemble this stuff well I think something I want to ask you is since you take input from your Patreon clients, they say, hey, we're interested in this, but you focus on 20th century. Someone has had to have come to you and say, can you make a panel for a tank set in the 41st millennium? Um, So rhino doors. So there are whole, there are, there's a whole ecosystem of people and designers who make stuff for plus ups to games workshop and like so they live in that world categories there are two categories of objects that i do not do one of them is i do not participate in other people's intellectual property that they have decided to be closed about 
Uh, so you will never ever see me do a grimdark anything because I don't agree with the way that they handle their universe, right? And 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 I think that we're very used to GW doing it the way that they do it. I think that um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Wizards of the Coast, has kind of come under a lot of flack for trying to head that direction. And I think it's good that normal gamers kind of realize that, hey, the stuff that you're buying that is a copy or a repro or a um, a version of of a piece of intellectual pro pro a piece of intellectual property uh, may not be quite like on the level. And so I just stay away from it entirely. Like it's just safer to just be like, nope, we're just not doing that at all. Uh, so no intellectual property stuff. And then the other thing that I don't do, and this is more just a personal thing, is that I don't do anything that's on a modern battlefield, uh, which has caused a lot of problems because a lot of Cold War stuff has all of a sudden rolled out of warehouses and uh, been back in the, the news. So yeah, uh, that's making the Cold War guys not so happy. So I told them that they have to get this over with and then they can have their stuff back. <laughs> Well, you know, when I think of, let's say, Cold War tanks, I mm -hmm. think of Bob Mack 3D and he's yep. his Kickstarters and his companies and he does a lot of intricate models, stowage, no stowage, whatever you want to do. But he does highly detailed stuff. I get the feeling that's that's not where you're aiming with the free library. Um, no, no, no. So um, that that's a really good point. That there are people like Bob Mack, and there's um, designers uh, just all over the place that are making these models. Are absolutely incredible. Just super intricate things. Pretty much, my models are going to compete with the lower end of the vehicle spectrum and the weirder stuff. Right, the weirder stuff that those people don't think they're going to be able to sell. Or um, Really, all I want to do is remove that like one to three dollar vehicle mar market and make that part of the market available because that's what intro gamers need. That's what people starting a new ar new army need. The people who are those impeccable scale modelers and those impeccable painters, they're probably going to want to spend a few more bucks and get the the specialist object that is exactly the thing that they want with exactly the so stowage. And also exactly the version. Like, I'm not going to do every version of a Sherman. I'll do the big <laughs> versions of, of, of it. But, like, there are so many versions of, like, a pan, of, like a pan of a Panzer IV. Sorry, guys. Like, you're, you're going to get, a, like, maybe one or two common ones. And then if you want the weird stuff, you could either modify it, right? Like, you could take any of my models and add the things or change the things that need to be changed. Or you can spend the money with the people that are going to do those really history perfect absolutely excellent scale models and so so it's totally a different market right now i think with your proposition of new gamers and the less detailed models so my first well, and i shouldn't say that they're less detailed isn't exactly well correct. i'm, I'm comparing are... comparing to the scale models like okay, these yeah, are yeah, yeah. scale so, models. So, so the way that I position my models, for those of you that play historicals and I've seen Rubicon stuff and I've seen Warlord stuff, I shoot for in between the, the those two. Okay. Well let's so let's they're... talk about that before we go into my question. What scale do you <laughs> what scale do you design at? Because so I know here's the funny thing. It it changes when you flex scales, like exactly. when, especially with 3D so models. I actually design entirely in one one hundred which is not what I game in. I game at 28 millimeter, like the vast majority of everybody. But the thing is, is for, for doing a, a model, one 100 is easy because the, the scale just works in your head, right? Like you don't have to worry about changing scales. You don't have to worry about anything. Like one notch on my thing is 10 centimeters and that's, that, that's easy. Like I can just handle that. Um, but most of the sample prints you see on Thingiverse are actually 152. Because I think personally that 152 looks best with 28 millimeter heroic miniatures. Some people print my stuff in all the different ranges in the world. I think the smallest, there, there's a guy who prints everything that I do in 144, which is way smaller. Uh, there are people that print up to 140 something. Uh, I think that there is at least one or two models that exist in like 120 something scale that are like toys for children, not, <laughs> <laughs> not, not gaming models. Um, but yeah, so so when you see one one hundred on my stuff, don't be like, don't be afraid that like, oh, it's gonna be lower quality. 
No, it just happens to be what's easy for me to, to, to do the math up and down in, right? Uh, most of the samples that I print are 152, and that is no real difference than 156 or whatever else most people want. I think most people print 148 to 156, somewhere in that range. Okay. So the, the reason I ask is I've actually developed an unfortunate hobby of buying Humvees from different companies and then putting them next to each other. And they're all and they, different. They're all 28 millimeters, but I so guess some... That's, <laughs> that's the thing is that 28 millimeters just isn't a scale and people just have to understand that 28 millimeters is like saying I bought a, an apple at the store. Like it's 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 no more specific than that. <laughs> One, like if, if, if you see a model, if you see a, 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 mod, a model and it gives you a fractional scale, that thing should be that fractional scale. And if it's not, you get to complain. If you buy a model and it says it's 28 millimeter, you don't get to complain if it's slightly bigger or smaller than you expect because 28 millimeter isn't a scale. Um, but, 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 but again, it's entirely up to you because your little people are not true scale. Well, right? like know, a true scale human being would be both very difficult to paint and impossible to use on, like, on a tabletop. So you should pick what you want. Like when I do motorcycles, most of my motorcycles, most of my motorcycles and like small vehicles, like Jeeps, they're actually like 145 or something like that. I just kind of loosely scale them until they look right. Um, well, you know, no. <laughs> but doesn't that, it fits what the eye wants. You have that issue yeah. of when you miniaturize things for the tabletop. I mean, that's why we have 28 millimeter heroic is because yep, when you're exactly. standing four feet away and you're looking at a little guy's hands, you want to see his hands and his face. Now, when you stick him in front of your eye, it looks completely wrong. And if you scale them up to one to one, it's it's wrong. It's just well, has... and I think that that when we when we think about I'm going to have a tabletop war game. This is a thing I'm going to do. This is the thing I'm going to prepare objects to complete. Right? We are going to get together. We're going to roll some dice. We're going to put some miniatures on a table. On, on a table. What's really like two big things happening? One of them is a game. Right? You're you you could just get little chits and put them on a hex map and play the game part of it with no modeling at all. The other part is the theater of it, right? Is, is the, the theater of the thing that's happening. And when you go to the theater, the trees on stage are not full-size trees. <laughs> they are trees that are correct to look right on the stage. And that's kind of something that I think that we need to keep in mind that we're not making a simulation. We're making a theater set to play our game in. And, and so even though I am really stringent about everything is exactly one 100, like the wheelbases are right. Everything. Like if I have a tank carrier, the tank should fit on it. Right. Um, but when you're playing on your own tabletop, it's your theater. You should be changing this stuff to fit the way it looks right to you. Uh, and, and the only thing that I would like kind of, equivocate that a little bit with is that when you play with a group of people you guys should all talk about what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> like otherwise stuff's gonna look real weird well since you design in 1 100 and you're making features that you know people are going to either uh well scale down or scale yeah. up are there some things like look because that's normally the thing 3d models say i design at um this scale because if you go higher lower whatever features i designed well, past a certain point won't survive. Like they'll look wrong, they'll disappear. Um, so I so specifically do not do rivets because they scale the worst. Out of all of the features, rivets don't scale at all. If you scale up, they look like oranges. If you scale down, they disappear. And so I just don't do them. And the nice thing about not doing them is that you can also smash together different models and they don't look weird if one part has rivets and one part doesn't. Mm, yeah. um, but generally what i suggest is that my models are theoretically possible to print on a very highly tuned fdm printer at 1 100. anything that's a bigger scale than that an fdm printer will just knock it right out of the park no questions asked e like e e easy as pie anything that scale or smaller i actually suggest that people use resin because resin printers are are much better at those finer details and um that's just kind of what you're doing on a tabletop. Again, the guy that does one, one, one to one forty four stuff, he prints those on an FDM printer. How? No idea. But they look great. <laughs> they look great. Well, so you now do you design your models exclusively for FDM 
or are there some that are for resin every once in a while you'll see one that i've just like this is impossible this has to be resin and those have a big all caps resin on the title on thingiverse okay. so you don't get excited about being able to print that one on an fdm printer but those are rare uh and they're only generally on very small things or very intricate things um for example, I just did a bunch of fuel containers and those just all had to be resin because they're just so, so small. Like even at even at 152, most of them are like smaller than your pinky fingernail. And <laughs> so for the small things, yeah, I, I generally will do those resin, but I would say that's less than one model in 20. Okay. Because you were bringing up the designing stuff for the intro gamers. And so... Mm -hmm where we might say Bob Mac 3D is like the game's workshop of design. Like he puts a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of detail. Yep. Yeah, they you're are, more following they the Warlord. A standard, yeah. Yeah, you're falling to the Warlord games of like, hey, this is fun, this is theater, <laughs> but this is it something more. Done. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to yeah. get something on the table for you. And that's where... Well, and also I'm releasing about a model every two to three days. Oh wow! That's... So that, uh, yeah. So so the the production rate is significantly faster than anything you're going to see out of a out of a professional company, because I do have this hard limit for myself of these will be the scale sizes, and um, and I've kind of set myself to that. I, I want to have about 15 models a month done. Okay. Well, that brings up the idea of printing. So we talked about like if you called a friend and said, Hey, I'm in Alabama. I'm going to head over to Tennessee. Let's play mm -hmm. this game. Here's the print files, print them off for me. That individual says, I don't have a 3d printer. Let me go down mm -hmm. to the local library and 3d print. Yeah. So any of my stuff that's FDM is literally like, if your printer can't print it, your printer probably can't print anything. Uh, I actually specifically do not tune my 3D printer. The one that I use to test all of these, the one that you see all the samples of on, on, on Thingiverse, that is the most abused, sad little like any cubic, <laughs> like just right out of the box printer. I've literally never spent a minute, like other than just leveling the bed, I've never spent a minute tuning that printer. Because here's the thing is I don't want it to print on my beautifully tuned print, print, uh, um, printer and then you take it home or you don't take it home. You download the file and you try to print it on yours and it doesn't print on yours because yours isn't tuned to the same level that I am. So the models you see on Thingiverse are like literally worst possible. They're the lowest common denominator. You should always be able to get a better print than I do versus the examples you see. Well, that... That makes me think of, oh gosh, my dad, my father-in-law used to subscribe. Like there was a car review journal and they never took free cars. And then they would just randomly go out to car lots and grab a car off a lot and test it. Because then like, if you give me a car specifically tuned, like ready yeah. to go, but, but that's not the reality of the environment because my first 3D printer was a Delta 3. It's like this little cage, small printing plate. Oh, yeah. But you set it on the shelf and it fits like Ikea shelves really well. You just yep. plug in a chip and you print stuff off. It takes yep. care of everything. My wife got me the next level up and she said, you can't touch it. Because, you know, <laughs> it was like all, it was a Prusa. And there's yep. all this tuning and cleaning and like, oh, well, we got to change the oh, nozzle yeah. head. I thought, you know, for the amount of time and failed prints to get to this one good print, I could have painted a squad. Like, where do I yep, want to spend my exactly. time? Exactly. And I, and I, that, and that's the thing is that I think that one thing we have to realize as game, as tabletop gamers is we are used to a lot of effort and time being put into the stuff that we love. Like we spend so much time on painting miniatures or putting them together or fixing them or getting rid of mold lines. Like what other hobby, like other than other miniature stuff, would people look at a model that you have to clean the mold lines off of and not just walk away from it? Um, <laughs> And so Gundam. what I want to do is make sure that, sorry. Gundam. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's modeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even they are much more picky about mold lines than we are. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so I don't ever want to turn somebody off because of this, right? I don't ever want to turn somebody off to the hobby because I've made a model that's hard to print, hard to put together, or hard to paint, or hard to use on a tabletop. That would be like the absolute worst case scenario, right? Like I want to promote the hobby as much as possible through making it easy to get into and any sort of friction point 
they're just not going to come back. Like, that's the thing is that like video games made it so easy to be able to have an incredible aesthetic and gaming experience for zero tuning for zero uh, troubleshooting. Right. And we just have to realize that we got to get there. You know, you bring up a good point. Cause I saw I, my daughter's been showing me these like YouTube videos of like video games in the eighties versus video games today. And the classic was like, um, I just dumped $50 worth of quarters and I'm halfway through this game. And it's like at a pizza parlor. Well, another guy's like, I downloaded this app for free. Ah, oh, like 99 cents for an app to play 40 hours of gaming. What a waste of money. But, you know, it, you bring that line out there of like, well, 3D printing is seen as this panacea for bringing cheap models because it removes the shipping and handling and the production mm-hmm. issues with it by shifting that to the direct consumer. But that's an accessibility issue because like if you want to make really nice models, I've I've got two Prusas and any cubic in there and like keeping those things tuned and fed and watered that yeah. that is a beast unto itself but for like for the average 15 year old whose parents aren't into this it's like how do i make something for him to go to like let's just say i'm in albuquerque i go to central library yeah. i go to the free internet terminal there take my thumb drive i download your world war one tank yep. um, then i go over to the printer and i plug it in and say hey librarian person who was born before the challenger blew up um <laughs> can you help me print this and they're going to stare at it like well let's see what happens so exactly. the idea of like and how do you make that life cycle work for the user experience yeah and and that's something that one i just don't ever want to be the problem in that in that in that uh work in that work that workflow my model should never be the problem um, and two, if you're a gamer that wants to promote gaming in your local area, even if you own all these 3d printers, uh, and you have yours all tuned up, you're probably not going to print stuff for people who just want stuff printed, like in your free time. Cause you have other stuff that you want to <laughs> print. Uh, but one thing that I suggest people do is take one of these models and go do the workflow, go to your local library, see what it takes to get it done write it down as you're doing it. So when that kid comes in and can afford to buy, you know, one platoon box of Warlord miniatures, but can't afford the tank, you can say, here, man, take this flash drive, go down there or here, go get these models, go to the library, they'll print them for a few bucks and you'll have that tank. And that just, I mean, drops a barrier of entry and drops the excitement level or it increases the the excitement level of being able to get those things because i remember being that kid and looking at like oh i would love to have a rhino for every squad right like (laughs) that would just be excellent and like me as like a 12 year old kid i was like uh that's gonna be a billion dollars (laughs) oh yeah you know i i still have some of my old battle tech stuff in the clamshell with the price and i remember like 7.99 and like oh my god you're killing me here and now they make WizKids models for like less than that. Like you get two, yeah. two models. Well, and, and that's the thing is that like, if you want to buy your plastic infantry, do it. Like the plastic infantry is actually really competitively priced against resin. Like yes. GW is essentially the only company where their infantry is not competitively priced against resin. But like Warlord and Atlantic, their infantry is like to the point where every once in a while I'll, I'll, I'll buy some of them, even though I design models. Uh, but the vehicles they're just expensive. Like, uh, like they're, and, and that's not their fault. Like plastic, plastic injection molding is just expensive. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so I'm not saying it, it, it's an issue with them, but it, it's, but it's something to kind of leverage, leverage the technology where it's good and leave it alone where it's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's where I think people have, I mentioned before, I made a big business in just the plus ups, like making the doors yep, or other yep. stuff, the, the accoutrements that hang off the central chassis. That's why I think yeah. Games Workshop, by trying to kill that ecosystem, actually hurts themselves. Oh, God, I, yeah, yeah. I've, I have in my travels, I have gone to places of where there are game stores right next to each other. And there's always this fear <laughs> by game by game store owners of like, well, I don't want to be close to my competition. It's like yep. car dealerships don't want people next to them. But I actually found that if you don't, stock the same stuff you actually make more because it's a feed well i started here well they didn't have exactly what i wanted let me go down to this store well while i'm here let me buy this other stuff so it's like the more you feed that ecosystem like the bigger 
everyone wins. It's not like, well, one yes. person's going to lose versus the yeah. other. And, and that's the thing to think about is that like, if you're a game store owner, 3D printing probably looks absolutely terrifying. I mean, absolutely terrifying. But it's not because again, that kid might come in and buy that box of infantry and go print a tank. Yeah, that sucks. You lost out on the sale of the tank. But if they couldn't print the tank, they probably wouldn't have bought the box of infantry to go with it. And yeah. um, so that's something to also think about is that as a business owner, how do you leverage this stuff? Like, how do you make it part of the of the system that you've developed to to get people in the door and rolling dice in your store? And that's something that we kind of have to deal with in the United States that, that some of the other countries don't because they use, they have more game clubs instead of game stores for gaming. Mm -hmm. But I think that, that game store owners here need to kind of do a little bit of work and figure it out and make it happen and um, kind of get you got to ride the wave or it's going to crash <laughs> over you. And if, if anybody if anybody out there that's listening to this wants help and, and needs needs assistance getting into this stuff don't hesitate to ask like i do modeling all day but the nice thing is is when i'm doing modeling i can talk to people so i talk to my patreons all the time i'm on i'm on chat with people with people because there are two different parts of my brain and they can work at the exact same time so do not hesitate to reach out well so one thing i want to mention you want to make this a career right so but you are give a shot. A yeah Thank you. Have thanks a to my wife for picking up the slack, but yeah. <laughs> but you, you sound to me, you sound like an orange grove owner who's giving away his oranges. What's correct. Uh, so this is the worst possible business model, but I think it has value to the hobby and I am going to run that down until I cannot run it down anymore. Uh, because there are situations in which we have seen this work in, in other fields. We are so used to paying exorbitant amounts of money for models, but we are somehow completely cool with using things like Linux that are entirely volunteer driven, <laughs> right? Um, and in a situation where like the thing that runs my computer is free, but my miniatures aren't like, that's weird. Like just conceptually, that's an <laughs> odd thing. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm just hoping to reach out to enough people to make it a, to make it a sustainable thing. Um, I'm not looking to get rich on it. I don't expect to get rich on it. I don't think anybody participating in the gaming hobby and then goes into any part of the com commercial aspect of it ever expects to get rich on it. But I do think that this has value. And so it's just essentially at this point trying to find enough people that agree with me that it has value to uh, make it stable. Well, let me ask, do you... You do have some experience in education. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, could the value actually be in the instructional side? For example, would it be better for you to host like a one hour, two hour clinic at like Adepticon, Nova Open, LVO, explaining the life cycle and showing people like, what's the, we haven't even gotten to ZBrush, Blender, yeah, and yeah. the funny thing you use. Um, yeah. <laughs> but explaining to them, okay, this is Thingiverse. This is uh, the various, uh, Prusa has their own. The, here's where you can go for designs. This is FDM, this is printer. This is how you go to a library. This is how you have to understand this. And then walking them through like the free versions of these programs and like the limits of them of where like people pay you, hey, explain this. Because I did that for airbrushing. So like CK yep. Studios, I yep. paid for four hours not to touch an airbrush for him to explain to me what you have to do to take care of an airbrush, how to mm -hmm. use it and everything like that. And I, I walked away saying, you know what? I saved myself a hundred dollars for buying an airbrush that would just frustrate the hell out of me. Yep. So one thing that I've realized is that, that YouTube has kind of done what I'm trying to do for models to education, right? Like, yes, you can, you can go pay somebody and do it in person and it will be a better experience, but if you just want to learn it, YouTube will teach it to you. Uh, and the people that are doing 3D modeling education on YouTube are absolute just godsends. They're, they're incredible. Uh, like the, uh, the, the, the people that, that, that teach you how to use your printer, the people that review printers, they're fantastic. I watch them uh, because I don't have the time to keep up with it myself. Um, and they're the people that I send new folks to because they know what they're talking about because they can keep up with it. Um, and 
So I think uh, really where I can help is more for people who kind of understand the basics of it and are looking to leverage it into something else. Like I do help a lot of our, um, a lot of like, I have Patreon or I have patrons, sorry, patrons on Patreon that are commercial printers. So they print out huge amounts of stuff and, and, and sell the physical objects. The reason they use my prints is that they're reliable. Right, they they print every time. They don't. They're, have to mess they're with the rough. And, they're the rough and ready. I can slap. Yeah. It down. Well, and, and 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 if you just need something to run overnight and you don't want to stare at it, they'll print. Um, and so even though these things can be printed at a library, they actually have pretty decent commercial value in just not messing up. And uh, that's where I've found that I can be of help to people is do you have a game store, right? Like, are you trying to get into this in a little bit more of a heavier duty way than a hobbyist? Because the thing is that a hobbyist has the time. That's the point. It's a hobby. <laughs> a game store owner might not have the time to, to, to figure it out, to get in there. Um, a Somebody who's coming into wargaming from 3D printing tchotchkes for whatever might not have the time to get into it. And those people have found that I can help a whole lot more than individuals. Individuals have the free time. Uh, business owners generally don't. <laughs> well, you know, something I've seen a lot is with War Games Vault, the small mm -hmm. game designer. Um, I've interviewed Full Spectrum Dominance, Crystallum. Um, mm -hmm. They make designs and they're on my mini factory or something. But there's going to be other guys who like design a game. And it's like, well, I don't have models like this. Um Cool. Here. Hey, listen, if you are designing yeah. a game set in the 20th century and you don't want to have vehicle mo models made for your game specifically, link to my Thingiverse models. You're more than, well, than, than welcome to. If you want something specific designed, you can come in on Patreon and help boost that Patreon and I will design the models that you need. Those models will be public. They will not be yours, but you will have access to them and so will all of your customers. So if you want to write a game that involves vehicles or involves this terrain and you need help getting that stuff done just ask like i'm totally willing to work with you on getting this stuff done because again if you're making a game about it that means you're passionate about something in a way that other people are probably passionate about that same thing let's make cool stuff so i've noticed you say vehicles a lot now yeah. let's say i want a nurgle demon demon cross with a Selenesh. Well, I want a so lot of I long am, organic curves. Some I am absolutely hot garbage <laughs> at organic design. I, you, you give me a ball of clay and ask me to make a human face, you're going to regret every word in that sentence. Um, so I do a lot of industrial design, which happens to just work really, really well with 20th century vehicles, uh, terrain, uh, industrial objects, things like that. And if you look through my fingers, you'll get a sense of what I'm good at and what I'm not. Uh, like if I need to sculpt something organically, I'll sculpt it by hand or buy it from somebody else who knows what the hell they're doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things where like, yes, I could spend two months figuring out how to do organic sculpting, or I could spend that same month making 15 industrial models that absolutely need to be in the world. Let's do that. Let's, you, let's leverage, let's leverage the skills I have and to doing good stuff. You know, that, that is the classic trade-off between the utility of existing skills now versus the potential utility of new skills. Yep. And um, now when, let me put it this way, when we run to the end of all of the industrial objects produced in the 20th <laughs> century, then I'll get into organic stuff, but I'm pretty sure we got a ways to run. I, you know, I, I do enjoy some of your Soviet era, like yeah. just so background pieces. I have 350 something designs on Thingiverse and we haven't even scratched the surface. Yeah. I, Cause I, I don't, since they weren't exposed in Western media from like the sixties, the eighties, I don't think people realize what a Soviet bus stop looks like. Yeah. They're all different. I, and there's like great. some crazy yeah. Like for like art forward stuff then. So and and like I, I think you and I are both the same way in that we just play a billion games. So your terrain has to work for all this different stuff. And uh like 
if, if you want a bus stop, that's fine. It can work for this game. And then you can put it in the closet and it, and it, and it goes away. And if you have to spend $10 on that bus stop, then maybe you'd never make it. But if it's just there, then you'll have these really cool, flavorful games, right? And that, and that comes back into just making this a better experience for everybody. Like I actually did the, um, the Kamov KA-26, which is that weird stacked rotor helicopter from Stranger Things that they fly from mm. Russia to Alaska <laughs> or wherever. And that was totally one of those things. It's like, nobody needs that for a game. But man, what a flavorful piece of kit if you're playing like Zona Alpha or something like that. Where you're That's like exactly Eastern what I was Europe. thinking of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's just such a neat piece of kit. And, and, it's, and it's just one of those things you'd never do unless it was just there and you're like, holy shit, I just have to have that. Like what a neat thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that, that's where I was going is because um, if it's 20th century, I am actually interested uh, in a lot of the stuff you see in sub-Saharan Africa, um, which is not what people expect. Like a lot of people think of Africa and they have this vision of like, um, what they think Africa should look. Africa doesn't look like yep. that. There are yep. some very no. nice areas, yep. and then there are some very poor areas, much like Michigan. Yep. Uh, you get well, the whole range. So, like, I did uh, the Bailey Bridge from World War II. Right, it's this like modular bridge. It's really neat. It's actually kind of fun to put the mo- uh, to to put the model together. But we used them in World War II. We made a absolute zillion of them, and then never really used them much again, except every third world country on the planet uses these bridges because they still make parts for them because we made so many of them in the first place and they're <laughs> modular. So this Bailey bridge that I made for world war two stuff is actually ends up being more useful for situations like that, where you're in other places, because here's the thing with tech, with technology, with technology is that it's not, it doesn't just show up once, right? It shows up where there's money and then it moves away from the places that there are money slowly. Um, and so you do get this kind of like, like a fog of technology, right? It starts real mm-hmm. strong and then it just kind of dissipates out over the landscape. And so like, if you have a 1960s vehicle in a modern game set in the United States, that's odd. That's anachronistic, right? But if you have that same 1960s vehicle in a game set in Cuba, well, all of a sudden it makes sense, right? Or, or, 1950, or 1950s vehicle set in Cuba, it makes sense. Like it yeah. works exactly right. Um, if you have a Volkswagen Beetle, right? It, in America, that's a little anachronistic nowadays. That would be rare. But in in South America, they're still everywhere. Like in, in Mexico, they're still everywhere. And so the only thing you cannot do with models in the 20th century is go backwards, right? I cannot take a mini split air, uh, a, a, a mini split AC unit and move that to World War II. But anything that's ever existed, you can move forward pretty far before it gets weird. Uh, the only big things people have to think about that they don't often think about is that at every world war, we, we took everything apart and melted it down for scrap. So there, there are these kind of dips of, of vehicles. That... <laughs> well, I, I like, uh, the movie, was it Elysium of where mm-hmm. they're in like high tech body armor, servo gears, walking through a slum. And it's like, yeah, and, and here, here's the thing, walk through your neighborhood, whatever neighborhood you live in, walk through it, especially if you don't live in a, in a newer suburb, like the, the neighborhood I live in was built in the, in the twenties and thirties. So every house is almost a hundred years old with no differences. The only difference is there's an air conditioner outside and the cars are different. That's it. <laughs> the, the, the telephone poles are identical. The transformers are actually very, very similar. Like there's a cable box here and there. But the houses are very similar. And so I think that, uh, again, with our theater set, you kind of build your own thing, right? Like build build the thing out of the components that you want. And by building this big library, you don't have to spend your money exactly where you need to. You can print some stuff out and stick it together and see if that works and see if that works for your thing. And if you want to do sci-fi, guess what? Sci-fi is really easy. It's just moving everything we have now forward. <laughs> well, that... That brings up uh, the point of, so why I asked you about that is I have like the Marvel Crisis Protocol terrain sets uh-huh. and those are set in like lower Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens. Mm-hmm. Those buildings have been there a long time. So when mm-hmm. you actually watch movies, you know, my wife does um, anim- some animation and like television stuff, but it's like 
they spent a lot of the time just going through and racing air conditioners to yep. make like something set in the yep. 1830s up to yeah. the 1860s. So, so, so here's the thing. So, so here's like, the thing. Just, just don't glue the air conditioner to the building when you build it through your <laughs> tabletop. Just have the air conditioner as a separate thing. Have a little box, have a little baggie of air conditioners and then just put them in place when you need them and then take them off when it's too early. Same but, thing with posters, same thing with cars, right? Just don't glue it together and you're fine. And, and then you can, because I don't want to have, you know, a 1940s set and a 1950s set and a 1960s that, set. That's exactly where I'm set. going that for. I don't yeah. want to do that. I want to have my big things are very universal. And as they get smaller, they get more specific, right? My stand of trees can work for everything from when there's dinosaurs there until there's space marines there. Um, but like some buildings, you start to get more specific. Technology, you get even more specific. A poster on a building, you've all of a sudden nailed it to a very particular time period and uh, theme because posters don't survive, right? Like it's not like it's not like a building where where even in a modern city you have some older buildings that have survived the test of time. Posters get postered over, or they get destroyed in the weather, or whatnot. Well, that, that's where I was going. Like I can change yeah. the period, of like Low and Manhattan, a lot by just what technical items I attach to the building and what posters I put up front. Yep. And so exactly. And and so one of the things that I actually did was making uh, for, for Europe specifically, we don't really have them in the U S but for Europe specifically, I actually made a series of poster pillars. They have these like big concrete pillars essentially that are specifically for people to post posters on. But the nice thing about that is you can make one poster pillar, like the same poster pillar that's up there. Like right now in Munich is the one that was there in like 1890. Um, and so all you have to do is print out three of them and put up posters for you know one World War One set, one World War Two not uh, World War Two Nazi stuff, one you could do post apocalyptic uh, nuclear nineteen seventies right, uh, and that just changes the whole flavor of the thing with this tiny tiny little printed object, and you don't have to change anything else in the whole city. <laughs> well, you know, you bring up a good question. So I know who to go to when I'm looking to make. Um... Some 1980s Duchavos or Muscovites, because those are cars that no one makes in 28 millimeter, but they appear in a lot. <laughs> so yeah, um, so we brought up point people can contact you. So let's yeah. end this with like, how can people get a hold of you? Um, and how can they find your Patreon and your Thingiverse page? Let's, let's make it simple here. So if you're on Facebook, I, I don't specifically have a page, but if you're on any of the 3D printing Facebook things, you'll see me just pop up every once in a while. Same with uh, with Reddit. I'll just show up sometimes. It, it's some version of, of Wyndham Graves. Usually it's W Graves uh, is my username. So you'll find me wherever. Uh, if you want to contact me directly, it's just windowgraves at gmail.com, or you can hit up Patreon and contact me through there. Uh, I have a Discord, which I think you can get through Patreon, but you might actually have to subscribe before you can get to it. I know you can be in there without being a patron, but I don't know if there's a link. I don't know. I'm, I'm bad at the, I'm good at modeling. I'm very bad at this, this whole social media thing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there is a community of people on Discord that discuss models and kind of present stuff and do some of the background research. And, and if you're a person who does that background research, that saves me an absolute ton of time, right? If I don't have to go look up pictures or go find books that have, you know, diagrams of the ways these things look, oh man, you've just, you've just done a ton of my work for, for, for me. And that's excellent. You want to get your model made? Give me good drawings and pictures. So, so let's say I'm sitting there and I want to do Pretoria, jo Jaber, Johannesburg, mm -hmm. 1973. Here's some pictures of a car and a street yep. scene. So the more pictures I send you on your Patreon so client, for specific that increases models, the probability. It, it helps. And then, so what I've been doing is that again, I kind of have this, this bell curve and I try to keep to the bell, bell curve. So if all the suggestions I get are for Cold War stuff, then yeah, a few of those are going to get made. But then I have to go through and make sure that everybody's ha that everybody's ha happy because that's the way the Discord, or not the Discord, that's the way the Patreon works. They vote and uh, it's vote by country and by time period and by a few other specifics. Okay. And I try to match those demographics. Those, uh, those so you're not allowed to just spam like, like, like 50 things and I'll make them in a <laughs> row. But... Um, if you could get me excited about it, you got a better chance. Uh, but yeah, and and it's 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 entirely what the community wants. If you post something and then there's like five likes on that thing or ten likes on that thing, 
there's a better chance that object's going to get made. Um, and then I do little polls and stuff like that to kind of see what, what, uh, what people are into. Now, how do they find you on Discord? How do they find your Discord server? Uh, so the way that I would do it is it's Patreon slash W Graves. Let me make 100% sure. Yes, patreon.com uh, slash W Graves. And if you just contact me there, that, that that's probably the easiest way. And then I can pop you over to Discord. Okay. Yeah, D Discord has weird links. I've never been able to figure out how to get clean links out of Discord. <laughs> it's it's one of those things like I'm on Discord. I, I spent five minutes with the guy, like, how do I find this thing? We're like yeah, we're standing it's over phones. Possible to find people without a direct link. But um if you're on Facebook or or if you have hit me up on Patreon, yeah, do do that. It's it's the easiest way to get to me. Um or you can just email me if you're old like I am. Oh, and for anyone out there, it's Wyndham W I N. Yes, I made the mistake. Uh, I was W-Y. I made yeah, that mistake. Nope, nope. Windham. Yeah, that makes it much easier. You can also just Google me and you should be able to find me. Uh, but also, yeah, Windham Graves at Gmail. You can reach out via, via email if you're old like I am and don't want to use all this newfangled stuff. <laughs> yeah. Are you on Foursquare? I, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> For very good reason. <laughs> Uh, for about a minute that was popular yeah okay um yeah but it, but it, it's just one of those things where i think that there there's a valuable community that, that we can build here making cool stuff that that you know makes all of our games better like that that's the point right all right and, so and the more input i get the better all right so i have five percent left on my laptop battery and I'm charged <laughs> out of reach so knowing that <laughs> is there anything i've missed anything you want to bring up i don't think so man i think we did a i think we did a pretty good job here so based upon your criteria you won't be supporting osprey games uh doomed release their gothic future fantasy future skirmish no game. but all of their like mid-centuries oh man like like some of their stuff coming out i'm really excited for like the doggerland thing yeah uh yeah. pulp i kind of wanted to get and then i was reading some reviews about it and they weren't super hot but if somebody wants to send it to me i'd be glad to read it <laughs> <laughs> uh i did get uh what is it xenos ram rampant has some rules that really excite me um that, and I, yeah i i like I have, what they did with that 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 made I, me excited have, to buy yeah i have some little 55 gallon drums with that with smg uh robots and I, I plan on building a stat block for for uh, Xenos Ram um, for Xenos Rampant for those. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thank right, you, Mary. Man. Thank you very much for being on the channel. This, this has been fun. I always enjoy talking to to sculptors there. Of uh, course. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's always work, nice to reach out work, and say hi and work with your magic machines. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for everyone out there, um, go out to Patreon, go into Thingiverse, look for Wyndham Graves, and he's got a huge collection of models out there that will fit um, pretty much any table you've got right there. And if not, just cover it with some moss or something, and you'll blend Yeah, you'll be good to go. <laughs> well, for everyone out there, thank you much for joining us today in Mitch Wargaming Lab. Bye.